Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Oh, come on, come on. Can we give Jesus our best praise? Come on, let's give Jesus a shout of praise. He's why we're here. This is all for him, for his glory. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise. Amen. You can be seated. Wow. Well, I am uh, incredibly honored to be here. Like Pastor Aaron just said, my name is Matt Blair, and my wife and I have the incredible honor of leading over at our highest location. I want to welcome in all of our locations all across Tampa Bay. Those of you watching with us online, wherever you're watching this from, here's what I know. I believe God has you here on purpose for a purpose. So let me encourage you to do this. If you'll just lean into God, I promise he'll lean right back into you today. It's going to be a great day. And I never take it for granted when I get an opportunity to stand on this platform. Humbled by it, honored for the opportunity. And I want to give honor to the one who gave me this opportunity. Can we take a moment and honor our lead pastors? Pastor Aaron and Katie Burke, they're the best of the best. They're the best. So grateful to serve under their leadership. And we're excited to have him back next week. It's been a long time, so we can't wait. So if this doesn't go well, hey, be encouraged. He'll be back next week. So uh, it'll be fine. So really looking forward to having them back. And I just love serving under their leadership. I do want to take a moment, let you get a chance to meet our crew. I guess we started the party of seven around here. Uh, so we're not a, a small group. We're a large group here. This is my family. Uh, we have five kiddos, as you can see. That's my incredible wife, Erin. We'll be married 20 years this April. And so many of y'all, ladies especially, have had a chance to hear from her at Women's Nights. She's anointed. She's gifted. She's a phenomenal communicator. And so uh, the just uh, makes me a better man every day. Uh, and this, look, we did this intentionally. They're in age order, not at all. I don't know how that happened. But on the far end, that's our daughter, Kaylee. She turned 18 two weeks ago, somebody. Uh, we're raising adults now. We are in the adult raising business uh, and hoping that we do a good job. The next one is Abby. She'll be 16 in October. That's two kids driving. Uh, my insurance loves that. It loves it. And uh, that next one will be 14. That's Zoe. She'll be 14 in November. Our youngest daughter, Eliana, turned 12 in April. And then the little guy there, uh, he is the mayor of the Heights. Uh, that is Judah. He turned four last month. We adopted Judah, if you don't know about our story. Brought him home straight from a hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, we have a passion for that. I believe adoption is the most beautiful picture of God's love for his people. And, uh, and so we were a part of that. So if you're in the adoption, foster care thing, we champion you. We celebrate you. And uh, so that's our family. Love them. Listen, I love uh, being a pastor. I love preaching God's word. But I'm a husband and a dad first. And it's the greatest calling on my life. And I love, love my family. Uh, but I'm excited to bring God's word today. So if you're ready to hear God's word and the words of Michael Scott from The Office, say, yes. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Some of you are like, what's The Office? Watch Peacock, all right? It's a great show. Just enjoy it, all right? But uh, again, very honored and humbled to have this opportunity. And so before Pastor Aaron left for sabbatical, he said, hey, would you wrap up the Summer Heat series? I said, absolutely. He said, I just need you to do a couple things. Get a word from God and bring your best. And so the minute he asked me, the Holy Spirit dropped this word in. So I want to ask you just to brace yourself. Everybody, take a deep breath. Because you're going to be like, I cannot believe I went to church. And that's what that guy talked about. Like, that's what he shared the Sunday I went to church. So just listen. I feel like God has called me here today. I'm going to talk about Jesus. All right? And... Um, and the gospel, just so we're clear. And I know we're laughing like, we do that every Sunday. Yes, I get it. We do that every Sunday. But it reminds me of a story I heard about a young pastor who took over a church. And some people attribute this to Martin Luther. There's no historical evidence that it was him. But he took over the church, and all he did every week was get on the platform and preach the gospel. 
And about eight to ten weeks into the church, a group of people pulled him to the side, and they said, Pastor, we love you and your family. It's great. But why is it every week we walk in here, all you do is preach the gospel? Why? And he looked at him, and he said, because week after week, you walk in here looking like a people who forgot it. And um, my fear for the church is this. Listen, not just Radiant Church, the church. My fear is the farther we get away from this salvation encounter with Jesus, like the Israelites leaving the Red Sea, they just all parted. The farther we get away, the less we actually think we need Jesus in the equation. And the less we make this all about him. Like I'm scared we, if we're not careful, we'll create systems and processes where we can walk in and walk out and go, wasn't that amazing? And Jesus wasn't even in the building. And so what I want to do today is our lead pastor gets ready to come back. I want to help recenter us, hopefully, and shift our focus. Because if we're going to do all that God's called us to do, we've had a great first 10 years, but we're not done yet. He's coming back with fresh vision and fresh fire. We better be a church that's sold out and fixed on Jesus. So that's what I came here today. And so listen, I, I'm your friend, but I'm going to push you a little bit today, all right? And that's my heart. So I've simply, uh, I, I want us to get it. Because here's what I think happens. I think we've given our life to Jesus. We've had that moment. And it's like, whew, got the get out of hell free card. Sweet. You be the co-pilot. If it gets bumpy, I'll let you help out, but I got it. And I just came to tell you, he's a horrible co-pilot. Like, he doesn't operate well in that seat. He has to have the wheel. It's like when you gave your life to Jesus, he looked at you and said, I'm the captain now. I am the captain now, right? Like, he's in charge. But we're like, no, 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 you just stay over there. And if I could really challenge you, I'm not even sure we've made him the co-pilot. We've been like, how about you be the flight attendant? You just serve everybody back there, make sure they got what they need. If I need a cup of coffee, I'll call you up here, but I got it. And listen, it doesn't work like that. We have got to make this thing all about Jesus. Like, it's got to be all for him and all about him. So I've titled my message today, Keep It Simple. Keep it simple. Would you pray with me? Jesus. I pray that you wreck us for your glory today. And would you start with me? Start with me. In Jesus' name. Amen. I call it keep it simple because you ever notice we actually are a people that can make very simple things incredibly complicated. Like we take simple things and make them very tough. You don't believe me? Just look at the DIY movement. The worst thing that happened to society was the HGTV channel. Come on, somebody. Because you all watched Chip and Joanna and you were like, a fixer-upper, I can do that. No, you can't. You cannot. I actually uh, probably scored negative 12 on the craftsman part of the spiritual gifts test. That's, you know what I have the gift of? Paying somebody to do that. That's what I have the gift of. Uh, because God has gifted them, so I just want to bless your gift, right? But some of you think, I can do that. Oh, my gosh. I can do it. A project, and something breaks at the house? I'm not paying. I got it. And I came to tell you today that some of you do not got it. I have, I have photo evidence that you ain't got it, all right? Look at this first one right here. Now, I don't know... This person may need to know that Home Depot and Lowe's actually sell shower heads. And the wrench, that will tighten it on there. But they thought, no, no, no. A Mountain Dew bottle with tape with some holes punched in the bottom will get the trick done. Uh, listen, keep it simple. Buy the shower head. Just buy the shower head. This next one, somebody told me, this is actually from South Tampa. Uh, and this is true. And this is a house. Now, I don't know if they know, but the door has hinges that will open both ways. Um, but they thought, no, 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 we got it. We'll just cut a hole. It'll go around the toilet. My bigger concern is what happens when the door is closed? Because now everybody's just, hey, what's going on? Uh, so just buy the hinge, flip the door, man. Keep it simple, right? Now, the last one intrigues me because I'd actually like to know if this works. So I'm not sure about this one, but I get it. 22-liter Coca-Cola bottles is probably cheaper than a Firestone. 
But I just want to know if this actually works. Does it roll? But I would encourage you, let's keep tires plus in business and buy, just buy a tire. Keep it simple, right? And we can laugh at that. But if we're honest, we've actually done the same thing with our faith. We take incredibly simple things and we've really overcomplicated them. And we've done it to the point that we've complicated them so much it confuses the world out there that desperately needs Jesus. And I want to help us today understand how we can make this all about Jesus. Like I'm a very simple guy. A very, very simple guy. I used to tell people if I was ever going to write a book, which I do not believe I have that gifting, thank God for our pastor. He has one coming out and he wrote one. But I used to tell people, I told him for 10 plus years, if I was ever going to write a book, it would be called Jesus, period. And the punctuation matters. So when I pastored a church, my wife and I, we led for seven years where we merged with Radiant. We actually had shirts made that said Jesus with a period at the end of it. And here's why the punctuation matters. School's starting back in a few weeks. Let's have a quick English class. Why does the punctuation matter? Because it's not Jesus with a question mark. Like, I'm not going like, I think it's Jesus. Like, Jesus? Like, maybe it's him, maybe it's science, maybe it's something. It's not Jesus with a question mark. Like, I'm not doubting, is it Jesus? It's also not Jesus with a comma. Because many of us go, well, it's Jesus plus my agenda. And it's Jesus plus my job and, and my money and my family and what I want to do. No, 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 no. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus with an exclamation point. And this is the one that bothers me because I think this is where the church has gone too much. You better get you some Jesus. You better quit doing all that stuff. Jesus is the answer. And we are bombarding people. And listen, it is the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. So I'm not trying to shout you down with Jesus. Listen to me. It's Jesus. Period. That's a complete sentence. Matt, my marriage is falling apart. Jesus. Like, I need a breakthrough. Jesus. Like, it's Jesus period. End of discussion, end of conversation. You're going, it can't be that simple. Oh, no, no. It is that simple. Like, it's that simple. Why do I know that? Because Romans 11.36 tells me that for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Do you know how that word all is defined in the Bible? All. Every bit of it. So guess what? It's all about him. It's all for him. It's all through him. It's all from him. This is all about Jesus. When I gave my life to Jesus, and especially when I surrendered my call to ministry at 19, I was like, I got to keep this thing simple. I'm not smart enough to do anything else, so I'm going to keep this thing really simple. And you know what? I went to the Word of God, and Jesus actually showed us how we keep it simple. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. There's a famous passage here where some Pharisees come to trap Jesus. You know what that is? The Pharisees were the religious people of the day who were going, why are you always preaching the gospel? We got it. Why? And they try to come and trap Jesus. And in verse 35, it says, and one of them, a lawyer, I don't, not, I'm not banging on lawyers, that's the guy they chose, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, all right. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, that's the first and greatest commandment. And I'm sure they all went, bingo, got it. He goes, pause, there's a second one that's just like it. Now he said, it's not equal, but it's just like it. So it's 1A and 1B. He says, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, listen, this is the verse, depend all the law and the prophets. You know what that tells me? Jesus hung everything on two things. I'm going to love God and I'm going to love people. So listen, Dr. Doug gave us this five-fold ministry test when I joined the staff here. And it turns out 
I have two very high fivefold gifts, and then everything else falls off the planet. I am an evangelistic shepherd. Because I learned early on, I'm going to keep this thing really simple. I'm going to be all about Jesus, and I'm going to be all about people. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to make this thing all about Jesus, and I'm going to make it all about people. I live by a very simple ministry principle I started early on. Here's what I tell people. It is not my job to transform people. It is simply to get you to the one who can transform. It's my job to get you to Jesus. Because if I get you to Jesus, guess what? He's big enough to take care of your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups, all the struggles you got. He's big enough. I don't have to clean you up and get you right. That's Jesus' job. But too many of us think it's our job to get people cleaned up. No, no, get them to Jesus. This is about him. This is about Jesus, period. And we got to get this today. So I'm going to keep it really simple. Now, but listen, this isn't my natural slant. Like, this is the life message for me. Like, if I was going to preach a life message, this is it. But it's not my natural slant. Like, I want to make life about me. I want to make it about what I desire and what I want. That's our human nature, that we want to make this thing about us. So how do we make it about Jesus and keep it simple? Number one, we're going to practice regular repentance. Uh Uh-oh, there's a churchy word people don't like. Repentance? Whoa, what do you mean repent? Well, did you know that Merriam-Webster actually has a definition for this? Not a Christian dictionary, the one you picked up in school. And listen to what Merriam-Webster defines this idea of repent as. To feel sorrow for one's sin and make up one's mind to do what is right. That's the dictionary that everyone can read. So to repent means I've made this idea. I feel sorrow and feel this, this angst for this, this sin that I have, and I've made the decision to do what's right in turn. Let me illustrate it for you. This is what repentance truly is supposed to look like. I was going this way, doing what I wanted, what I desired, and I stopped encountered Jesus, and I turned 180, and now I'm going after him. I'm giving him everything. I'm pursuing Jesus. This is all for him. But here's the problem. We all have sin. We're fleshly, and we're broken. So guess what happens? I'm pursuing Jesus, but then the world pulls my attention and wants me to come over here and drags me everywhere. So it's why it's not just a one-time thing. People think, well, I gave my life to Jesus. I repented of my sins. No, no, no. There is this idea of I've got to practice regular repentance. Coming back, like there's this weird teaching that it's like, well, you got Jesus, you can do whatever you want. Back to your regularly scheduled program. Do whatever, man. You did the Jesus thing. Now YOLO, it's your life. No, 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 no. Paul was very clear on this. Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He goes, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This isn't this thing like I gave my life to Jesus, but I keep dipping my toes back in over here. Like I keep, well, I'm just going to keep, no, 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 no. Well, his grace covers me, man. I can do what I want. I got grace. You are cheapening the grace of Jesus by that. When I gave my life to Jesus, I was called to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness, to be like him, to fix my eyes on him, to follow him. Because you know what happens when I fix my eyes on Jesus? I can only go where he's leading. I can only walk because I'm locked there. The world wants me to cast my gaze back to the things like a dog returning to its vomit. I'm not going back there. Like I gave my life to Jesus, man. So I've got to get in a place where I practice regular repentance. You know what I call this? You've got to learn how to do this thing called shrinking your surrender intervals. Shrink your surrender intervals. Like when you surrender. This is not at the end of the day I go, well, God, I made a list. It's pretty bad. Let me just go through them and here. If that's what happens, fine. But I need you to learn how to shrink it. Like bring it to him quicker. So this idea of, man, I lost my temper with my wife, with my kids. God, 
I, I come to you and ask you to forgive me for my anger. Lord, would you give me the peace of Christ? Would you give me the mind of Christ? God, I don't want to. I don't want to turn to wrath. I want to. I want to have peace, and I bring it to Him. And then I go and ask forgiveness of my wife or my kids. This thought comes in my mind, and I'm going, no, no, I capture that, God. I surrender that to you. I bring it to you, God. I don't want to have that thought. I don't want to let my eyes look at that thing. I don't want to go to that place. Like, you got to learn to shrink these surrender intervals. Living in a posture of complete surrender and dependence on Jesus. Like, this is all for you, God. I don't want to make this about me. And you would think, well, well what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Because when we don't do this and we make it about ourselves, Jesus, I read this this week, and it kind of shook me pretty bad. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is writing to the church at Ephesus, and it sounds so good on the front end. Listen to this. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be an apostles and are not. You have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. It's like, come on. And then he hits them. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Listen to that. You're doing so many great things. You're leading a small group. You're on the team. Man, aren't you? You're at church every Sunday. He's going, but you forsook your first love. You have made it all about something else. This is about me. And if you don't repent and make it about me, I'll come and take your lampstand away, which means I'll snuff out the light that was called to shine for the world. Verses like that in Matthew 7, 23, where they're like, we prophesied your name. He goes, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And what I'm scared about is we've got a lot of people that are doing so much for Jesus, but they're not being with Jesus. They're not going after him. And that is the danger here is that when we make it about my agenda, what I'm doing, all these things, we're missing it. So I want to posture myself with regular repentance and surrendered to God. That's the first thing we got to do. The second thing, we got to have constant communion. Some of y'all heard that and said, wait a second. I got to eat the bread and drink the juice all the time? Or like eat the bread and drink the wine all the time? And then somebody heard that and was like, oh my God, charcuterie and Chardonnay, that's my girl Saturday. No, that's not. No, no, mm -mm. Not what we're talking about. Somebody's like, but I can still do the charcuterie and Chardonnay, right? Like, just chill for a second. We're not talking about that kind of communion. I love communion. It's my favorite thing we do on Sundays. I, I love that moment in our service where we get to teach people the Lord's Supper. I love it. That's not the communion I'm talking about. There's another definition. Maybe you didn't know, and it says this. A close relationship with someone in which feelings and thoughts are exchanged. That's what it means to be in communion. There is this idea of I need to be in a constant relationship with Jesus. A constant posture of relationship with him. You need to understand that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And he came to restore a right relationship with the Father. In the garden, Adam and Eve before the fall were with God. Constantly. In relationship. So Jesus came to restore that relationship with the Father. So I'm called to be in a constant place of communion. You know how you do that? It's more than words. It's why we say make an appointment with God every day and keep it. You need to be in God's word every day. You need to have a time where you're in God's word because that's where he's going to begin to speak to you. You need to get his truth, his ways, what he desires. you got to get that from him. You need to have times of prayer. It's why Jesus retreated to solitary places and spent time with the Father. He couldn't do anything without having that connection to the Father. You need that. If Jesus needed it, guess what? You need it. I need it. 
Like, we've got to have this place of constant communion. You know what it is? It's this word that we don't talk about a lot in the church, this idea of abiding with Christ, to abide with him. What does that mean? It means to stay, to remain, to be with Jesus. That's what we've got to do. We've got to get to this place. And I know it's tough because we live in this constant, fast pace, always changing, way too much information at our fingertips world. But you've got to learn to stop, slow down. And just abide with God. Sabbath with him. It's a commandment. Rest in him. It's important. It's so important that Jesus actually talks about it in the book of John. If you ever ask yourself, well, I don't know who Jesus is. Good news. In the gospel of John, seven times he tells us exactly who he is. He uses this Greek statement, ego ami, I am. And why is that so powerful? Because Moses, when God came to him in the bush, said, tell them I am that I am. So when Jesus said, I am, it shook people. And he says things like, I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. But in John 15, he says this in verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. And when you remain in me, you abide in me, guess what you do? You'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And the danger is I think a lot of people think they're doing a lot of things for God, doing a lot for Jesus, but you aren't abiding in him. So it's actually nothing at the end of the day. He's like, you can't do anything without me. Like, I promise you, if I'm not the one that you're anchored to, you won't be able to do anything. And we have got to get this day. I, I hear me. My heart is not to come down hard. My heart is for you to get on fire for Jesus, to fix your life on him. It matters, people. I promise you. It's not the doing. Hear me. Because that's the thing. This is not a call to do more for God. That's the problem. I'm doing so much. He said, apart from me, I, I never knew you. My wife and I heard a podcast this week, worship leader Stephanie Gretzinger, and she made a statement that rocked me to my core in this area because this has become, if we're not careful, a very performance-driven thing, Christianity. She said this. She said, quit asking God to bless what you're doing and just do what God is blessing. So quit asking God to bless what you're doing, and how about you do what God's blessing? You only way you're going to know that is in a close proximity of abiding in him. Like, God, what are you breathing on? God, what are you directing to? What are you doing? I want to do that. This is not a, well, God, I need you to bless my job. I need you to bless my family, bless all the things I'm putting my, no, 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 no. God, what are you doing? And if you're blessing that, I want to be a part of that. Like, I want to do what you're blessing. I don't need you to bless what I'm doing. Like, we got to get this, y'all. And that comes from a place of surrender and being with Jesus. So you're going to practice regular repentance. You're going to stay in constant communion. But this last one, I, I need us to lean in for a little bit because this is where I'm going to get really passionate for a little while. We got to have some fearless faith. We got to have some fearless faith. Like, I need us to understand that as followers of Jesus, we got to grasp this. Like, we are called to have some fearless faith. And I don't know where this idea came in as followers of Jesus that we're supposed to be timid and we're not supposed to be very vocal and we're not supposed to offend people. And get, Listen to me real quick. They're already offended. They're already offended. So I might as well bring Jesus. And I just came to tell you something real quick. The world's getting awfully loud about their devil. It's time for the church to get a little bit louder about our Jesus. It's time for the church to rise up and get a little bit louder about our Jesus. It's time to push back the gates of hell. Hear me real quick. We were always called to be an offensive faith, not offensive, offensive. 
We do not play defense as the church of Jesus, but that's what we're doing. Well, please, devil, don't get to my family and don't let me protect everything. No, no, no. I take light into the darkest places. I push back the gates of hell. I have Jesus. I can be offensive. I don't play defense. This is like, man, I'm taking Jesus to people that need it. We got to get this, y'all, because there is a world that is desperately in need of Jesus, and you've got him, and you won't tell anybody. You won't tell anyone. You're going to work on Monday. How was your weekend? Oh, my gosh, man. We went to Disney. It was so great with the kids. We had a beach day. Went to church on Sunday. And it was so awesome. What was the other part? We went to church on Sunday. I don't know. Is that cool? Is it cool we did the church thing? I don't know if that's weird at an office. It's not a disease somebody's going to catch. It's life they're going to get. Like, that's what we got for them. Their world's falling apart. They don't need a self-help book or a cool little TikTok video you saw. They need Jesus. And you've got him. And the only way some people are going to ever get Jesus is through you. You are the only Jesus somebody's ever going to see. Like, I just, I just want to see a church get a blaze for Jesus. I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate to see people quit going through the motions. Well, I went to church. Went to a small group. Like, I did all that stuff. No, 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 no. You carry the living God inside of you. And that's what the world needs. They need the Jesus that you have. So we've got to show it to the world around us. Because here's what faith is. Remember, faith is the confidence in what we have and what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. If I can see it, touch it, feel it, experience it, it requires no faith. I love how Billy Graham said this growing up. Billy Graham said, I've never seen the wind. I've seen the effects of the wind. I've seen it blow a leaf or a piece of trash across a parking lot. But I've never seen the wind. Listen, I've never seen Jesus but I've seen what he can do in somebody's life. I've seen how he can transform somebody, take them dead, make them alive. I've seen him heal people, set them free. Like I've seen what Jesus can do. I don't have to see him with my own eyes to believe who he is. At some point, you gotta believe Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will do. Like we gotta get on excited and passionate about Jesus because here's what scares me. I heard a story about Steve Jobs. We all know Steve. Steve's a buddy of ours, no longer alive, but he started Apple. So we all know Steve Jobs. He went to a guy named John Scully. John Scully at the time in 1983 was the CEO of PepsiCo, a Fortune 100 company. Steve Jobs came to John Scully and he said, hey, I want you to leave Pepsi and come work with me at Apple. Now, everyone today would be like, oh, my gosh, I'd go to Apple in a heartbeat. Yes, of course. In 1983, no one knew what a computer was. It's a startup tech company. And he's like, you want me to leave a Fortune 100? I'm a millionaire, multi, to come to this little Silicon Valley thing that nobody knows about to do a what? He said, I'm not interested. And then Steve Jobs said something that completely transformed John Scully's life. He looked at him and he said, let me ask you a question. You want to stay here selling sugar water to kids the rest of your life, or you want to come with me and change the world? And here's why that's a cool story. I think mission accomplished. They've changed the world. I'm not so sure for the better. Everybody's got this attached to them at all times, and an iPad, and a watch, and a FaceTime, and a this, and we're addicted to it, and they've changed the world. So I just came here today to say, do you want to keep going through the motions, or do you want to come with Jesus and let's go change the world? Do you want to go change the world for Jesus? I'm not asking you to sell a product. I'm asking you to take the living God to a world that desperately needs it. Let's go change the world. I'm ready to see a church set ablaze here. You know why? Do you know what the original Spanish settlers called this area? You can look at an old map. This was called the Bay of the Holy Spirit. The Bay of the Holy Spirit. And we've turned it into Tampa Bay. Champa Bay. We've turned it into Gasparilla Pirates. 
You know what's crazy about that? It hit me in the first service. You know what pirates do? They come and plunder and pillage and steal and kill people. God, that sounds a lot like John 10. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundant. I don't know about you. I don't want to be known for Gasparilla. I want to be known for the Holy Spirit. I want to be known for Jesus. It's time to take back what the Lord wanted this land to be. The reason God called Aaron and Katie Burke here to plant a life-giving church was to see it set ablaze for Jesus in the Tampa Bay area. And we all have a part to play on that. It is not Pastor Aaron's job to save Tampa Bay. It's Jesus' job, and he wants to use you and I to do it. And we got to get set ablaze for this thing. I'm telling you, I want us to get this. And I, hear, I, I could stand up here for hours and share story after story of how my wife and I have seen miracle after miracle in our life. But we made a commitment the day we got married that we were going to fix our eyes on Jesus and be completely dependent on him for everything. Now, that's not a call to be lazy and not work and do what God's called you to do, but it's going, Jesus, if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Like, I need you every day. I need you every moment. Like, I got to make this thing about Jesus and have some fearless faith. You know, the reason is, is because the gospel matters. Dr. Doug, if you haven't been through Foundations, which is a plug for it, you should join it in the fall and learn what it is that you believe. In one of the sessions, Dr. Doug teaches on the gospel. And he says, what is the gospel? And listen, there's hundreds of answers that come out. It's Jesus. It's this. It's, oh, it's the cross. It's, no, no. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5 is exactly what the gospel is. And here's what it says. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas in the 12. That's the gospel, that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and died on a cross for your sins. He was buried in the ground and rose so he could conquer death, hell, and the grave and give you life eternal and life abundant. That's the gospel. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's not a long, drawn-out thing. This is about Jesus and making him known and making him famous. Only one man has ever done that. His name is Jesus. Dr. Doug tells us, right, there's a well-known pastor who says, if a man can predict his own death, burial, and resurrection and pull it off, he's worth following. And there's only one man I know who's predicted it and pulled it off, and his name is Jesus. So it's time to say he's worth following. He did what he said he'll do, and I'm going to live for him with everything I've got. I want to share this as I begin to wrap up. I, I had the chance to be the first person to communicate for our young adults a year ago. So I kicked off RYA a year ago. And I had a very specific message that God gave me, and I think it's going to apply to everyone in the room. Here's the fear I have for me, the generation that went ahead of me, and a few of those that have come behind me. We have created a very experiential faith. So everything's about what did I experience when I went to God. So it's like I went to that worship night. I went to that conference. I heard that podcast. I watched that Instagram video, and it's all experience. So what happens is, if you don't feel like you had this emotional experience, then God must not have been in the room. I must not have met Jesus because I didn't experience it. And can I just tell you what I told them? If you get nothing else today, get this. This is the word I gave them. It is time to quit chasing experiences. And how about you just chase Jesus and watch the amazing experience that you'll have? Quit chasing experiences. Quit going to the next thing. That's why I put many people church hop. Well, I didn't feel it there anymore, so i got to go somewhere else. And like, No, no. Quit chasing experiences. Just chase Jesus, and watch the amazing experiences he'll do in and through you. It'll blow your mind all the things he wants to do. And why am I so passionate about this? Well, I've always been an evangelist, and I've always been a shepherd. But eight months ago almost now, the passion lit with a new flame. January 16th, 
my dad passed suddenly of cardiac arrest in my hometown of Wilmington. And 3.30 the next morning, on that Tuesday, I got a, on the door and a Tampa police officer said, hey, you need to call this detective in Wilmington. Uh, I don't know what it's about. He did, he just didn't say anything. So I called and the guy said, hey, we found your father deceased in his home tonight. Suddenly. And while I was so heartbroken and saddened, I can't call my dad anymore. Can't have dinner with him when I go home. I won't get to see him play Santa Claus like he's done for 30 plus years in my hometown. Do you know what really broke my heart? It wasn't the physical loss of my father. It was the fact my dad never made a decision to surrender his life to Christ. So it wasn't just physical, it was eternal. And listen, I know people come afterwards and go, well, you don't know what happened in those last moments. I'm just telling you that I had numerous conversations. He had the opportunity. Granted, could he have done something in those last moments? Maybe. But here's what I want to tell you today. Why the passion is new and ignited is because I will never stand on a platform or encounter anyone that does not have a chance to meet the Jesus that my, I know that my dad never did. I stood at his funeral and preached the gospel and seven people surrendered their life to Christ at his funeral. Like, I'm not going to play around with this thing anymore. Heaven and hell are realities and it matters too much. People need Jesus. Listen, my dad explained the gospel better than 95% of this room could. My dad looked at me one day. He said, hey, Matt, let me just say this to you, man. If Jesus had lived to be 80 years old, died of natural causes, and they put him in a tomb, and three days later he got up, a cynic will tell you he was in a coma and they just didn't know it. He goes, but if you take a 33-year-old man in perfect health, and you beat him within an inch of his life till he's unrecognizable, and you nail him to a cross, and you stick a spear in his side until the blood and the water flows, he's dead. He goes, and when you put him in a tomb and he gets out of the grave three days later, he goes, that is the miracle of faith. And I'm going, oh my gosh, yes. But he goes, I just can't put my faith in that. I just can't put my faith in that. And here's the danger that he had that I think a lot of us do if we're not careful. He understood the gospel, but it never took the 18 inch journey to his heart where he fully believed and surrendered it all to him. And a lot of you in the room know Jesus. You know the gospel. You've gone through the motions, but it has never taken the 18-inch journey where you say, no, 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 I fully believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He will do what he says he'll do. He saved me, he redeemed me, and he wants to do the same for others, and I'm living full out for Jesus. I'm getting set ablaze for the glory of God. That's what I'm afraid of that I want to see happen. So there are two groups in the room I want to take a moment for. The first group, every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm going to do something different today because I want to make sure we clearly differentiate what's happening here. The first group I want to talk to you're in the room and you had a moment where you gave your life to Jesus. You surrendered and had a salvation moment, but then you made him the co-pilot. You've compartmentalized him. You haven't made it all about him and you have focused your entire life on you. And today you're going, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to surrender everything to Jesus and fully give him everything and live for him. So this isn't a moment of salvation. This is a declaration to go, I'm not making this about me anymore. I'm making this about Jesus. If that's you on the count of three, simply throw a hand up. One, two, three, all across the room. Believers in Jesus saying, I don't want to make it about me anymore. This is about Jesus. I just want to pray over you right now. Keep your hands up. In the name of Jesus, every hand that's raised in this room across all of our locations, I declare right now in Jesus' name, a fresh fire, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, that you fix your eyes on Jesus, that you make this all about him, for his name, for his glory, for his renown. Fill him afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's a second group in the room, and you hear this message, you're like, wow, this guy's really excited about this Jesus, and I've never given him my life. I've never 
made the decision to believe that he died on the cross for my sins, he was buried and rose on the third day. And if you're here today and you wanna make that decision for Jesus, I wanna give you a chance right now. Every eye closed, every head bowed, nobody's looking around. This is your moment with Jesus. Listen, this is your moment with me. It's not your moment with Radiant Church. This is your moment to surrender your life to Jesus. For our first time, giving him your life and salvation. On the count of three, raise that hand. One, two, three. If that's you right now, raise your hand. Say, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm living for him. Come on, thank you for that. Hands across. Say, that's it. I'm giving Jesus. I'm surrendering in salvation. Amen. If you made that decision, you raised your hand or you wanted to here across all of our locations, we're going to say a prayer together. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's a declaration that Jesus is your Savior. We're going to say this prayer together because this is the family of God. We don't want you to feel singled out. But if you wanted to make that decision, this is your time. Everybody repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus. Come on, say it loud. Say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. Forgive my past, my present, and my future. And for the rest of my life, I'm living for you. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we celebrate life transformation across all of Tampa Bay, online and everywhere? Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.